It is uh, so great to be with you today. My name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I'm privileged to be the lead pastor here at Propel. I'm here with my friend Noah Black. Can we give it up for Noah? A little weak, but we'll get there. And, uh, and, and so uh, Noah is our worship director here at Propel Church. And uh, if you want to be a part of worship, um, you can just go to propel.church slash worship and find out all the audition process information. But would love to have you join the team, and uh, we're so excited for what God is doing. So the format of this morning looks a little bit different. We are kind of wrapping up our series called uh, Good Questions, and this series is really designed um, to help you and I uh, through what we're going through. So we, we took a survey back at Easter, and we talked through some topics, but we realized that we can't get through every topic that you have, and so on the last Sunday of the series, we do a live Q&A. And so you have the ability right now at the bottom of the screen, you'll see a number if you want to text in questions that you have this morning. We gave that number out um, to you a couple days in advance. Um, And so we're going to dive in in just a second. But as you begin to text questions in, uh, Noah, what's our first question for this morning? Uh, So we have, why should people bring a friend to one huge week? Okay, so One Huge Weekend is coming up next week, and we do One Huge Weekend on our calendar a couple times a year, or I'm sorry, once a year, and the whole goal is uh, that people just really don't attend church every Sunday anymore. If you do, like, you're a rock star, and we love you, right? Um, If you only attend church once a month, we still love you as well, but the goal is uh, we realize that we, we see about 300 people a weekend here at Propel, um, but we have a church of about 500. They just don't all show up on the same Sunday. And so if we can create moments where the whole church gets together, uh, it creates new normals. It creates excitement. It gives a good way for you uh, to bring new friends. And so on one huge weekend, um, why should you bring a friend? I'm just telling you, I'm going to preach the best message I've ever delivered. I've been working on it for a little while, and uh, I shared it with my wife the other week. And uh, she was just, she was like, shoo, I could go be with Jesus now, you know. And so, um, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those messages that, that we're going to go through next week that I think will be beneficial. And it's going to take a passage of scripture that you've heard your whole life and bring new light to it. And so uh, I'm really excited for it. So next Sunday, uh, one huge weekend, 9 a.m., 1030, bring a friend there. We also have um, uh, a free T-shirt for everybody. So if you've seen people in the I Love My Church shirts and you're like, I really want one of those, um, there's a new design this year and a new color. And so uh, we're excited for that. So next week, because uh, we only give them out one Sunday a year. And, uh, and so I'm just saying, if you miss it, then you miss it, right? Um, so you guys have been texting in questions, so we're going to uh, keep moving forward this morning. Yeah, yeah, that's great. The next question is, what are some ways that I can thrive as a Christian and lead people towards Christ without being pushy? So leading people to Jesus without being pushy. That's, that's the hardest part, right? Because we live in a world that says, if you don't agree with the way I'm living, then you don't love me. But love is not contingent on whether or not we agree. That's what I love about the body of Christ is that we don't have to agree on everything, right? We don't. There, there are some essentials that we need to agree on that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But I think when it, when it comes to leading people towards Christ without being pushy, um, I believe two things. Uh, one, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so if I try and lead with truth, 
um, without first extending grace, I've missed it. You can go back to John chapter 8 and look at the story of the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? Um, she's been caught in the act of, of sleeping around. They come into the town to stone her. And all these guys pick up stones. Jesus bends down. He writes something in the sand. And people debate um, right, you know, what Jesus was writing. Most people uh, think that he's writing uh, the names of these other religious leaders like lovers. So he's like, you know, Rebecca, and he's writing in the sand, and he's like, oh, snap, and then that guy leaves, right? So then Jesus stands up with her and asks her, where are your accusers? And she says, they're, they're gone. And he says, neither do I condemn you. That's grace. But then he says, go and sin no more. That's truth. A relationship has to have both elements. It can't just have truth and it can't just have grace because grace absent of truth leads to more sin, right? But truth without grace just leads to rebellion and religion long-term. So I think you give people relationship and just a policy that I have for my own life, I don't take constructive criticism from people who aren't building um, because if you're not building, your criticism can't be constructive. And so... As you look to help people, you know, and lead people towards Christ, if you see an issue in somebody's life and you want to help them, then help them. But don't just tell them what they're doing wrong. Come alongside them, do life with them, encourage them in the faith. Yeah, that's good. Um, is repentance a requirement for each prayer? That's a good one. Is repentance a requirement for each prayer? Um, not necessarily. I, I guess the better question would be, why would you not want to repent, right? Because we all sin, we all fall short. Um, that's not your identity. If you've, if you've given your life to Jesus, accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, um, then, then what Jesus did for you on the cross is he paid for all your sins, past, present, and future. The role of repentance is to, uh, it is to turn, but it has more of a connotation of returning than just turning. So at the prodigal son, the prodigal son's moment of repentance is not when he realizes his sinfulness, realizes his mistake. It's when he runs into the house of the father. Because repentance, in order for me to shift directions, I have to return back to something. So repentance is coming back to God. So is repentance a requirement? Not necessarily, but here's what I realized about my own life. There's plenty of times where I go astray and I need to run back into the arms of my father. And so anytime I can run into the arms of my father, that's, that's the end goal. I think where it begins to get messy is if you're repenting for the same things over and over and over again. Because true repentance is a shift in heart position and a shift in thinking. And so um, I think a lot of times in prayer, what we can do is uh, we just trim branches of a poisonous tree and... And the tree's still poisoned, even if you just cut some branches away. And so if I find myself repenting for the same thing over and over, I'll give you an example. And if you're addicted to pornography, first of all, I want you to know there's freedom from that. You have the ability to overcome that through Christ. But if you're watching pornography and repenting, and then a couple days later or the same day watching pornography and repenting, you're just hitting the same issue over and over and over again. Like, Spend some time with God, dig in, figure out what that root issue is. Let's uproot it so that you can run into the arms of your father and stop turning back to the old ways of living.
Yeah, the next one is, what is the biblical view of women in ministry? Oh, I love this question. And this is a hot topic right now, right? Because um, uh, there's, there was a pastor. See, I almost name dropped, and that's a big thing I don't do um, when it comes to negative things. So there was a pastor um, who was at a conference, and he was asked about a, a female speaker and uh, or what his thoughts were on this particular female speaker. And his words were, uh, go home. And it was really negative. His, his view of women in ministry is that there shouldn't be one. And, and most of people who believe women can't be in ministry um, pull from a particular passage of Scripture. I wrote, it, um, or I wrote it down so that I could share it with you. So here's the Scripture in 1 Corinthians 14.34 that most people use um, as a defense for not having women in leadership in the local church. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 34. And it says, women should remain silent in churches. They're not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. Now, you take that verse at a surface level, and it says what it says. But if you look at the context of what Paul is talking to about in the church, um, the meaning of it is a whole lot different. So back in the day... Um, Men, boys, were raised up under the teachings of the law. They were trained. They were educated. They had knowledge of who God was and, and, and you know, the, the writings of Scripture. And, and then Jesus came. Jesus brought in equal access to God. It was no longer that, that the woman only had access to God through her husband and, 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 and multiple other avenues. Now women have direct access to God. And so there's equality there. The issue that Paul ran into is he had all of these men who had been educated their whole life who were really passionate. Um, and then he had women who were standing up in church who hadn't had that education and who were just talking. And there became conflict. False teaching was getting spread and things like that. So the, role, the goal was not to silence women in ministry. If you want to know our position about women in ministry, I think it's, it's if you look at our, our teaching calendar for the year, I think it's pretty evident. I think my wife is hands down one of my favorite communicators. She's an incredible woman. And uh, I love uh, to hear her heart when she delivers God's word. But even back in June, we brought um, four, or we didn't just give you one female communicator, we gave you four of them on a single weekend uh, because we believe that women not only have value in ministry, but they are a necessity to the body of Christ. Because um, I think every house needs to have the heart of a father and the heart of a mother. And, uh, and there's spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, and, and Tori and I carry that position for this house. And so at Propel Church, women will not only uh, have a place, but they'll have a voice in leadership always. That's good. That's good. Uh, next is what is the difference between calling and assignment? Yeah, so um, so growing up, so I, I, I had kind of, I'll call it a kind of a church background, right? Like I was kind of in church. My parents were heavily involved in church. They gave me the option of whether or not um, – I was going to uh, go to church with them. So I made the decision like, <laughs> no, right? Um, because there was an option there. And I thought church was boring. And maybe how some of your kids feel about church was kind of how I felt it. And that's one of the reasons why we do propel church the way we do it is because we really want it to be a church for every age, every stage, that no matter where you are, you can you can glean from it. Um 
but I got saved, gave my life to Jesus, got heavily involved in the local church. And what I saw was there were a lot of people who were really focused on calling, 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 calling. So what's your calling? That's, that's been the big uh, phrase that people have used. Um, and so I started seeking after my calling. And so I was seeking after, like, God, what have you called me to? I knew I was supposed to tell people about Jesus. Um, but after that, I felt like my calling was youth ministry. So I had unintentionally built my identity on being a youth minister, and I got involved in students. And if you're in high school, here's what I want you to know. It's a weird season for your life, and I just realized I am not built to be a youth pastor, right? Like, I got in there, and I love students, and they're incredible. I, 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 it just wasn't for me. But my identity said this is my calling. And so I had this internal conflict, and I understood then why there were a lot of people in ministry who, like, just surrendered to the call of the Lord. You know, they sound like Eeyore, and they feel like they hate their life. Because um, I think if you're in ministry and you hate what you do, you should quit for everybody's sake. Because where God calls you to, where he assigns you, he brings joy, he brings peace, he brings hope. And so the difference between calling and assignment, and this is just what I believe. You can go back and read the Great Commission later. I want you, uh, by the way, take good notes today because I'm going to talk a lot about Scripture. I'm going to reference passages of Scripture, and you should literally go read them for yourself. Don't just take my word for it um, because you need access to God's Word. And my goal today is really just to, to share Scripture with you and share God's heart. But I realize, man, man, I'm sitting here shooting in the dark on some of this too, so... But, but I believe if you look at the Great Commission, Jesus says for us to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the universal calling for all believers. If you and I have, I, and so I think we have a universal calling as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and we have individual assignments. Far too often, we sacrifice the Great Commission on the altar of what we deem is our calling. So we'll seek after our calling. Oh, well, God hasn't called me to that. He's called me to this. No, God has called you to make disciples. He may just assign you to a different position. And when I understood that, I realized that my calling was to make disciples in whatever assignment I had. So I served as a youth pastor for a little while, um, was also a creative director uh, learned how to do graphic design and started helping churches. When I stepped out of being a youth pastor, I had a, a graphic design business that I was I was running and operating, and and then we planted Propel, and then I started even doing um, business management for uh, a large company. Uh, and in doing all that, um, my my calling didn't change. I had the opportunity to make disciples wherever I was because I understood that. My calling is stays the same, but my assignment may shift in a moment. That's great. And when does Propel observe communion? When does Propel observe communion? Um, so I love communion, right? If you're a follower of Jesus, uh, I think communion is necessary. There are two sacraments in the local church that are really important, um, communion and baptism. Those, those are the two. Um, Communion, Jesus is at the Last Supper. He takes of bread, he takes of wine, and he says, do this in remembrance of, of me. So it's important. Um, we don't do communion on a Sunday morning, um, 
and it's very intentional. And here's the reason why. What Scripture is also clear about is that communion is for those who are followers of Jesus. So imagine this for a moment. I invite you over to my house, right? You've been over to my house several times. I invite you over to my house. Tori and I prepare a big meal. Um, But we come to you and say, hey, so glad you're here. But there's part of the meal that you don't get to partake in. I think that's what it's like when you have an environment. We say Sunday mornings are geared towards lost people, unchurched people. We want to create a space where you can bring your friends and they feel comfortable. But then when we go, hey, but there's something that you can't partake in, we've immediately isolated them. And, and so we do communion a couple of times at, at Propel. So we do it um, at nights of worship. We do them during 21 days of prayer. Um, and if you're not familiar with 21 days of prayer, we're going to enter into, at the beginning of January, a new session of 21 days of prayer. And, uh, but 21 days of prayer in January is different because it's prayer and fasting. And uh, it, it's, it's incredible. And so you just heard a couple people on our team go, Ugh. <laughs> I'll tell you this, fasting isn't fun, but it's fruitful. There have not been many times in my life that I've enjoyed fasting. Because I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy, right? Like through and through. You give me a good steak and, and some loaded cheese fries, and, and your boy is set. Um, but you put me on a, on a, a liquid-only fast or a, a Daniel fast where I have to eat fruits. and I don't like vegetables. So now I'm eating fruit for 21 days and nuts, fruits and nuts. And so, um, it, But it's so beneficial because it takes your focus off of the world and it shifts it onto God, and it's so beneficial. That's so good. So this one, there's three different questions that are kind of around this same topic, so I'm really interested. Uh, I, I picked the one that I think summarizes all three well. What denominations get it right? <laughs> <laughs> I love this question. I love this question. Um, so most people don't know this. We are actually a part of the SBC. So we're, we're technically a Southern Baptist church, um, and, and we aligned ourselves with the SBC because they're passionate about church planting, and they hold a tight view on Scripture. So here's what I will say. If you want to know our theological position on anything in Propel Church, if you just pick up your Bible and find out what it says about it, that's that's really our position. Because I feel like anytime we stray away from that, we're entering into, into dark territory. So what denomination gets it right? Um, well, the truth is denominations are made up of people. And people are imperfect. So the question could become, what church gets it right? And the answer would be the same, that churches are filled with people, and people are imperfect. And what I'm thankful for is that I think the big C church, which is all of the churches and all of the denominations, functions a lot like the little C church, body of Christ, where there are many different parts and many different functions. You could even say many different flavors of this thing. Do any of them get it right? I don't know. What I do know is that when we all work together, we see the gospel advance. We see more people meet Jesus. And I think that's what's really important. I think this one is a personal question for you. Do you follow the Ten Commandments? I can't. (laughs) Right? Um. Paul says that the the goal of the the Ten Commandments is to reveal our sinfulness. So do I follow them? Man, I tell you what, I I try. 
But what Jesus teaches us is that um, grace always merits more than law requires. So the law says, thou shalt not murder. Jesus says, if you have hate in your heart towards another brother, you've already murdered him. Now, that doesn't mean I should go ahead and murder him, right? What that means, <laughs> three people laughed at that, right? <laughs> um, it's cool, it's cool. But wh- what that does mean is um, when I look at the Ten Commandments and I go through them, it reminds me of my necessity to have Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Like, it reminds me that there is a standard that I can't live up to and desperately need to meet Jesus. And, and my heart breaks for people who try and live by that standard because Paul says if, if good works could keep us or if good works could save us, then there would have been no need for Jesus to die. That's Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 20 and 21. So he says that, that when, we, when we do that, when we treat God as a way to, you know, just get into heaven or we, we try and work our own way through keeping the law, keeping the commandments, he says it's like we treat the grace of God as meaningless. And, and that's not the heart behind it at all. This one, I think it sounds like one that I've written, and we've had multiple conversations on this, so I'm, I'm really excited about this question. How do you find joy when waiting for God to move in a tough season? Well, you and I have had multiple conversations on it, so why don't you answer that one? Oh, my goodness. So, um, so I, think it's, I think it's crazy. We, we introduced this song called Waymaker, and um, this song has been the entire, like, anthem of this this waiting period that God's placed me in, and I think that in in a waiting season, God doesn't God does God doesn't give you those, so that way you you feel like you you just have to rely on Him, or that way you rely on your own strength. But it's to where you understand patience, and that things aren't wasted because of waiting for something that something's not meaningless. A, a, a word that a pastor, Rich Wilkerson Jr., one of my favorite one of my favorite pastors to listen to, uh, he says that pursuing the right thing at the wrong time is a curse. Mm. It's not a blessing. And so to think about uh, your blessing being something that if you, if you take it too quickly, it's a curse. And so to sit and to wait on something that God has a perfect timing for, God has a perfect, uh, a specific moment for you to, to have something or, or to gain a blessing or uh, to find healing in a situation, I think is, is huge. And so to, to be able to have uh, something of uh, finding joy and waiting for God in a tough season. Um, you find joy whenever whenever you realize that everything has a proper timing and everything has a mm-hmm. purpose. So don't think that the waiting season is wasted. So That's so good. Yeah. So yeah. good. And so Noah's story, Noah came in um, how many years ago? Almost four. Come on. Something like that. So Noah joined us a little after launch. And, and um, tell me, like, what is... What's the biggest thing you've learned in the last four years? The tables are turning on me. <laughs> oh, uh, I think the biggest thing I've learned for sure is why you should be transparent with community. I think I grew up in a church background that was great, but I don't think, and I think it's a personal, I think it's a personal reason. I don't think I went out of my way to, to be honest with people and to reach out to people. And so getting connected to groups here and being vulnerable and saying, hey, I don't have my crap together. Like right. having those type of people is, is incredibly huge. There's numerous people on, on our lead team here, people that get a ton of midnight conversations from me of like, hey, 
something sucks and I need to talk about it. And so finding that community has been huge and being able to express that in my walk with God and in my relationship with God, I don't have to keep things to myself because the more they get built up, the more that one day it's just going to crack and it's not going to be healthy. And so being able to find healing and to find purpose in people is huge. And so this platform and this stage is, is awesome and it's a privilege, but I've found so much more healing, so much more depth and so much more growth in connecting with people. And so it's saying life changing is nothing short yeah. of, of an understatement. And so it's it's incredible. So that's for sure what I've learned here is community 100 percent. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, let me do this. So we've got like five minutes left. Um, we'll probably go past that like two minutes or so. But um, let's talk about Kanye for a second. Right. Oh my goodness! <laughs> I'm so glad you brought this up. So, because that's that's the hot topic right now. Oh, Everybody, yeah. Everybody's talking about Kanye. Um, first of all, uh, so you you share thirty seconds of like what are your thoughts on his new album and this whole thing? Yo, so I am <laughs> I'm 21. So I'm gonna be a little bit with the younger generation. It's it's dope is the terminology dope. I would use. Dope. No, but I think it's think it's incredible to have somebody in his platform that is is having a transformational relationship with Jesus. I, I sent to our, our lead team and our staff yesterday this little clip. He said, and tell me if this ain't a great sermon point, y'all need to get out. Like, it is so good. He says, um, when we when we forsake the fear and love of God, we begin to have fear and love for everything else. Mm. And so like to hear that God's doing a work in his life that he is fearing and loving God above everything else and turning his back on everything. He, he used the terminology as he's done a complete 180. Yeah. That's salvation. And so to, to completely push that away, yeah. it, would be, it would be a shame. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the topic right now because people are in that conversation. Um, and I wrote some thoughts on this. Uh, this is like a personal website plug, right? If you go to nicknewman.com, you can look at the blog. I wrote some stuff, uh, my thoughts about Kanye a few weeks back. But the big thing is people are saying right now as well, you know, we don't believe it. We, we don't, you know, we'll see in time if it's true because, you know, a tree produces fruit. And, and here's my, my, my personal takeaway is if God can't save Kanye, then he can't save me. And so God has the ability to save anyone. And what we're watching unfold before our eyes is this transformation from a guy who used to say, I'm Jesus, to now he's saying Jesus is king. I mean, that's a big shift. And culturally, this is what we've prayed for, right? This is what we've hoped for. And then God does it and we go, I don't don't know. I don't know if that's him. It's... It's only possible through God. I was reading this passage of scripture in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, which is one of these common passages that people use. It says this, so do not, um, do you not know that unrighteousness will not, the unrighteous will not enter into the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, uh, drunkards, revilers or extortioners, there we go, um, will inherit the kingdom of God. Most people stop there. But then Paul says in verse 11, the very next verse, he gives that list of all the people who don't make it into the kingdom of God. And he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, 
but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Paul never talks about those who won't inherit the kingdom without reminding those who used to live in that lifestyle that God rescued and redeemed them. Because the natural tendency for you and I is after we've been saved to get in judgment of people who sin differently than us. The truth is we have the same opportunity that the the family has in the prodigal son in Luke 15. We're watching Kanye come home and we can either act like the father and go inside and rejoice and celebrate, party and dance, or we can stay out in the field and be angry. Those are the two options. And I'm going to choose to throw down with my brother in Christ. Well, go ahead. Let's do one more question, and then uh, I'll land the plane. Cool, cool. I love, I love this question. We'll end with this one. Uh, what is the difference between conviction and condemnation? That's a good one, and that's a really, that's a really tough question as well. Um, one that I'm super thankful I get to answer in 60 seconds. <laughs> um, here's the short answer. Um, I did a message on this like two years ago. You can go back to the YouTube page and watch. There's an entire message on conviction versus condemnation. It came in a series in May of 2017. Um, and the series was called This or That. And the whole purpose of it was to show us that conviction leads us into the presence of God, where condemnation isolates us from God. So can, condemnation says, you're an idiot. Conviction says you were made for more. And the difference there is, uh, Romans 8 says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So condemnation comes from the enemy, but conviction comes from God. And if we don't discern whether or not we're being convicted versus being condemned, then you and I are going to chase rabbit trails. And we're going to end up feeling guilty. And Jesus died for our guilt. He died for our shame. And he took that from us. So we don't have to carry that guilt and shame. And I think, I mean, there's probably some people even in here today, this is not the normal format for a Sunday morning. So if you're a first-time guest with us and you're like, do they do this every week? (laughs) The answer is no. Um, We wanted to create an opportunity just to answer some real questions that people are dealing with, and some of you have texted in questions, and we didn't get to yours. Uh, we're doing this again at the 1030, and there'll be a, a whole thing of different questions. Um, and if we have a bunch of leftover questions, uh, we'll probably do a Facebook Live event to just kind of get through some of these and talk through them. Um, but, like, what I would tell you is if you're here today and you are carrying guilt and shame, what you need to know is that Jesus died for that. Like Scripture says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that while we were still sinning, Christ came and he died for us. So, so God doesn't wait. This is the beautiful part uh, of God. God doesn't wait for us to fix ourselves because he knows we can't. God doesn't wait for us to become right with the law. He sent the word, the law, to become flesh. Jesus dwelt among us, lives a sinless life, and then dies in our place so that we could experience peace we could experience joy and be saved and if you're counting on anything other than Jesus to save you to bring you peace to bring you hope um, on the salvation side it won't work scripture's clear 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So like your neighbor up the road is a really good person. I'm super thankful for that. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Being good is never good enough in the eyes of God. We needed a sinless payment. But thankfully, Jesus came. Jesus died. Paid the price for your sins and mine. And now, through him, we get to have life. And so for just a moment, uh, every head bowed, every eye closed in the room, we know that there are some of you in here today who need to begin a relationship with Jesus. Like you don't currently have one. And what you need to know is that God died in your place so that you could have one. That he's not waiting for you to fix yourself or become perfect. No, Jesus died. And he rose again so that in him you could have new life. And so if you're here this morning and you need to begin a relationship with Jesus, for just a moment, every head's bowed, every eye closed, would you just lift your hand and say, hey, that's me. I want to start a relationship with Jesus today. Here's what we're going to do, church. No one prays alone. We're all going to pray together. Will you say this with me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name.